What difference can one person make in a global pandemic? As a business that had to pivot, you got to do it quickly. You got to make tough decisions. You got to be a little bit vulnerable when you do that. But when you're doing something and you feel the personal connection of almost fear and the unknown, it's pretty damn meaningful. We're living in uncertain times, surrounded by chaos, fear, even outrage. But a new world is emerging, putting forth beams of hope, healing, community, and recovery. Welcome to Luminaries in the Dark, hopeful stories about people pivoting their life and their work to rise above chaos and help those in need. I'm your host, Bruce Bracken. When the pandemic stay-at-home measures were put into effect across the country, some businesses, such as stores that sold alcohol, were allowed to stay open because they were classified as essential. One such business, Glass Distillery, a Seattle-based vodka distillery, was deemed essential, but not for the reason you'd think. With me here today is Ian McNeil, owner of Glass Distillery, to talk about how he pivoted his business to help out during the crisis. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the show. Hey, Bruce. Thank you so much for taking the time away from Glass Distillery. I know Glass Distillery is a local establishment here in Seattle. Tell us a little bit about you and your background, and are you originally from Seattle? I'm not originally from Seattle, but I've been in Seattle so long now that I've spent just about half my life here. I moved here back in 1996. Uh, I was working and living abroad with my wife over in Moscow, Russia. And we moved back to the United States and looking around for where we thought we would like to live and have a real lifestyle versus when we were living in the then just former Soviet Union. We settled on Seattle, Washington. And funny enough, we are just about ready to celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary as well. And we spent most of that time here in Seattle. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. When we moved to Seattle, I was working in the telecommunications industry, primarily in satellite telecommunications and services. And my wife was doing financial consulting and working with the um, World Bank and KPMG. But we got to Seattle and she made a move into the world of uh, banking. And I made a move towards more focus into uh, software and telecommunications and spent the years from 1996 through the go-go internet days and helped build some software companies and internet service companies and then got into um, bigger applications and sort of, I'll say, ended my software career working for a company that built an application to run warehousers, wholesale building materials business. And that was about 2008 timeframe, 2009. And I really wanted to get into business management. I wanted to own and operate my own company. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I looked around and made a few offers to try and buy someone else's headache, I'll say. <laughs> okay. You know, someone that, that had a business for sale that didn't want to do that business anymore. And made a few attempts, learned a lot along the way settled on something else. I decided to start something of my own from the ground up. So I started Glass Distillery. And Glass Distillery really was this confluence of different things that came together. Sort of my business experience, changes in liquor laws, changes in distribution of liquor in our state, and those desires of consumers looking to find something new and different from the big brands that existed out there. You know, 
here in Washington State, we love to adopt the new and the fresh and, and the local. And we saw that change happen in the wine industry. And we built a multi-billion dollar industry from nothing, basically from the early 1980s until now. We saw the same thing in the brewery business. And even since I started the distillery in uh, 2011, we've now seen the, the cannabis industry start to take a soft foothold. But we love to adopt these new things. I'm curious, when you started different businesses, why you eventually decided to get into you know, the vodka distillery business, but also you know, knowing how big kind of the wine industry is around here, how did you decide on vodka? And I'm also kind of interested in your background from when you lived in Russia. Did that play any part into deciding you know, to go into the, the vodka industry? I bet the influence of living in Russia for four and a half years had something to do with the <laughs> desire for doing vodka and almost vodka exclusively. But really what got me into it, I have a lot of friends in the wine business here. I've bought a lot of wine from Washington winemakers over the years. And uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, that puts you in front of the winemakers quite often. And so they, a lot of these guys are, were in their 30s and 40s at the time. And, you know, it's kind of like you're hanging out with your buds. And I got to, to get to know a lot of them. They got to be friends. And while it felt very romantic to want to get into the wine industry, I watched all my buddies go through this and build up these successful award-winning wineries over the course of 15, 20, 25 years. And I felt that it was not my position to go in and go compete directly against my buddies because I'd, I'd be starting at ground zero. But with those changes in the laws and changes in desires and, and the movement to more craft spirits, that gave me an opportunity. And, and I actually looked at it and said, can I use some of the things that I'm very proud of in our state? And that's the, the fruit that's grown in the state, Washington wine grapes, but use it in a manner so that I can distill spirit instead of just fermenting it. And I did a little of a experimenting and found that you can indeed produce really high quality spirit if you start with really high quality raw materials. What that's allowed me to do is to sit alongside all my friends that have been in this business building successful wineries and not compete directly against them, but be part of the same sort of agricultural community that exists throughout the state. And that started way back in 2010. We started off slow. I've kind of taken as much time as I felt necessary to grow the business kind of slowly and consistently. So we started off making one product. I made vodka. And in the business, they call it straight vodka because it's not flavored, not tainted with anything. And my intent was to stick with one type of spirit to try and build a successful business and a successful brand. In this industry, the easiest hard part, shall we say, is the actual production of the product. Once you learn sort of and you master sort of the chemistry of it all, you just need to be able to consistently repeat the formula and the process of distillation. And it's, it's basically a science project. You just keep repeating over and over and over. So I started from the beginning to stay focused and just make world-class vodka from Washington State fruit and try and build a recognizable brand. And I did that by building a, a custom bottle crazy when you're a little tiny company to create your own packaging, especially in this industry, but we did that. 
One of my second loves of Washington State, Bruce, is the Studio Glass World. We have some of the finest glass artists in the world that have come here to practice their art and learn the the art form. And I have a number of friends in that space too. So in my own little small way, naming my business glass, naming my product glass vodka, and then doing these custom bottles, it was a way to sort of celebrate that studio glass art world without coming up with some goofy name that maybe meant something to me, but wouldn't resonate with consumers in a different part of the country. Yeah. And I, I saw the bottles on your website and they are both very unique and very beautiful. So even if someone doesn't know that backstory, they're certainly going to be able to appreciate the bottles that the vodka comes in. And so in creating your vodka using you know some of the byproduct of the Washington State fruits and uh, help from the wineries, how does that differentiate your vodka from other vodkas that are out there? Great question, because in our country, most of the vodka that's produced on a mass scale, so most of the vodka that's consumed, is produced from corn. And then the next most used base material would be wheat. And then it kind of goes down rye and potatoes and, and other fruits and a combination of all. But the best way to think about how a country, group, whatever, produces some kind of clear, high-proof spirit like vodka. It's really what is the one of those main sources of starch in the diet that's really cheap of that country. Interesting. But the uniqueness of glass comes from using a fruit, and that is with wine grapes. And vodka, by definition, and that definition just recently changed, like by law, only a week ago in the early part of June 2020. Since prohibition, the definition has been colorless, odorless, tasteless, distilled to at least 95% pure alcohol or 190 proof, and then filtered so as to have no taste. So that makes a pretty bland spirit. And that's why vodka, by many bartenders in the world of craft cocktails, is sort of the butt of all jokes. Ah, it's just booze. Well, many of us small craft producers knew that that really wasn't the truth and that I could do a tasting for you of even the biggest brands and you would see that they, they smell a little bit different, they taste a little bit different, but it's delicate. All these differences are, are very subtle in taste. So making it from grapes gives it this sort of almost floral-like nature to it. It's a very soft, sweetness smell. The taste of it, when you first taste the spirit, it has a little subtle silkiness to it. It's almost like honeysuckle. It's not sugary sweet, but you can definitely taste the, the sweetness that's part of the grape base. Because the grape base is so beautiful and it is quite elegant, I decided that it already tastes so nice. It has this silky mouthfeel to it so that when you, when you swallow, it doesn't have a hot burn that a lot of grain-based alcohols do. I didn't need to taint it with citric acid and sugar and get all formulaic about it. It is just a very finely distilled spirit from Washington wine grapes. And then I don't even charcoal filter it. And many distillers turn their nose up at anyone that doesn't charcoal filter something. But when you charcoal filter something, it's meant to remove something that you don't want. Can you imagine charcoal filtering a Chardonnay so that you remove <laughs> out the elegance of a light white wine? No, Yuck. you wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. So I felt the same thing would be true with my vodka. So to answer your question in a long roundabout way, is 
it, it's that distinctive, elegant character that, that gives it the difference between other spirits that are, are available. And that's what craft distilling is all about, making something unique in small batches that consumers can discover and enjoy for themselves that is something different than the big players. We've even done some aging products. We're one of the few companies that make a throwback product to Poland in 300 years ago. There was a product called Starka, and it was brought over from European settlers here into the United States and consumed all the way up until Prohibition. After Prohibition ended, a number of different types of spirits were never reclassified because they were so low in consumption and had sort of disappeared from consumers' minds. So aged vodka disappeared or Starka disappeared, but we resurrected it about three years ago and it has sort of taken off like wildfire. It's a higher proof vodka. It's a hundred proof. So 50% alcohol versus 40% the way we bottle it, but it's been aged in new American oak charred casks like you would a bourbon cask. It sits in there for two years and it develops this beautiful dark golden color. It looks like a whiskey. It starts like a Highland single malt scotch whiskey, but finishes clean like vodka. And we're hoping to continue to have people enjoy this new old school spirit. Too bad we can't do a virtual tasting, Bruce. I know. I, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> Glass Distillery has been around now for 10 years, and it sounds like you have an amazing lineup of products to offer. I'm guessing you all have been doing pretty well for the past decade. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. But this is a long-term investment. And then 2020 hit. And so now we're in a, a bit of a different era. COVID-19 is now a global pandemic. Everybody is affected. Nobody's left out. From what you've told me so far, it sounds like community and being connected to the local region is very important to you, very important to the history that you're creating with Glass Distillery. Once the pandemic hit, how did that affect you personally? But then also, how did that affect your business, Glass Distillery? Being connected to my community has been very important, and not just for me and for Glass Distillery. My wife and I, we've always believed in the leadership that we've seen in, in the community with giving back and giving back to the community that helps make you successful. It's an important part of being an entrepreneur. It's also an important part of massive corporations. And when the pandemic hit, we were also starting to feel some pain from distributors that were cutting back on orders in different states. And things were starting to slow down for us in late February, early March. Then the pandemic starts to rear its head, but really hadn't come out. And I had one of my colleagues on vacation. She happened to be in Japan at the end of February and early March. My production assistant that had been working with me at the time, she'd been around for about a year. She and I were around the distillery looking for things to do. And then the whole news kept getting worse. And I said, you know, one thing we could do to kill some time, why don't we take some of the byproduct, that is what's called the heads of the distillation. It's high proof alcohol. You wouldn't want to drink it because of what's in it. And it's got kind of an off-putting smell because there's some acetone in it. We normally use it for cleaning. 
And I can also use it in trade with wineries where I'm buying wine. They use this high-proof alcohol because it can help kill bacteria in their connections and hoses. And it's a great little product to use around because we make it and we get rid of it. So I put it in one-ounce bottles. I went to the place where we use bottles that we get for samples that we use in our industry. So I put them in spray bottles. And I put a little video out on Facebook, told people, if you want it, I got it. I got plenty of it. Come on by and get yourself a free bottle. And it unleashed a floodgate of people that I had no idea were paying attention to us on Facebook. And the next day, after I put this note up, I had people coming to the distillery looking for these free bottles. So I started handing them out. I even had two ladies that were chemistry teachers down at Kent School District say, hey, school doesn't look like it's going to be staying in session. And we may be sitting at home. We're not in school today. We'd love to help you bottle some. And I'm looking at them. Are you kidding? No problem. Come on in. So we sat around, four of us, filling one-ounce bottles by hand. Two days later, King Five shows up and did a story about us, neighbors helping neighbors. That was the first week of March. By the 15th of March, the FDA and the TTB, along with the Center of Disease Control, came out with a mandate that said, if you're a distiller and you can produce hand sanitizer, if you can follow this formula, which is 80% ethyl alcohol with hydrogen peroxide and glycerin, small amounts of each one of those, we're giving you full permission to make as much as you want and can and give it or sell it away. And that started an entirely new injection into the supply chain that was definitely needed. And we started producing six to 700 gallons a week of hand sanitizer. Wow. And that's an extraordinary amount because it's 80% alcohol, which is twice the amount of alcohol that's in a bottle of vodka. That's amazing. So you essentially turned your vodka distillery into a hand sanitizer factory using the ingredients that you got from your normal distillery business. You got it. And, and Bruce, like within five days, we started doing this on like March 5th. On Monday, King Five did their first story. By Thursday, there were stories that were in the Puget Sound Business Journal, the Seattle Times, New York Times, Bloomberg. It snowballed so fast and people were coming to me and now they weren't looking for one ounce bottles. Virginia Mason Hospital had almost no hand sanitizer left. And this is when the caseloads were building in mid-March. They needed a hundred gallons. We had to put a pallet of stuff together. Then I'm getting calls from the sheriff's department in Dallas, Texas, from Harborview Medical Center, from Kaiser Permanente. And then it snowballed even further into King County Emergency Preparedness, the Seattle Police Department, Seattle Fire Department. The list of customers coming to us was extraordinary. And no longer were they looking for donations. They wanted to pay for it and they needed to buy it because they were looking in pretty large quantities. How were you able to ramp up your production you know, from your initial batch to these large quantities and supplying all these different organizations? Great question. Absolutely could not have done it without my supply partner, Chateau Saint-Michel. While they're not distillers, they're wine producers, and I buy a lot of wine from them to produce our vodka. Chateau Saint-Michel wanted to help, and they saw the story, and they know we've worked together. 
Some of it came from the high level ranks. Some of it came from the guys that I deal with on deliveries. And they said, what can we do to help? And so they've been providing wine, but at a very low cost. And then we're extracting the alcohol out of that and distilling it up to a, a level of efficacy that it could be used in hand sanitizer. So it takes a lot of wine. We've distilled through, oh, now almost 17,000 gallons. And to put that in perspective, since the beginning of March until the middle of June, maybe 17,000 gallons of wine is what we've distilled. I have not done that in a single year. In fact, I haven't done that in any two-year period since I've been in business, and we've done it in three months. Wow, that's phenomenal. In fact, I've been distilling so much, Bruce, that it actually made my gas supplier, Puget Sound Energy, and Seattle Utilities with our water, our water and gas usage went up so much, I got contacted by them because our bills were... 12 to 15 times what they had normally been. <laughs> <laughs> They're making sure there wasn't some giant leak or uh, emergency going on. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Puget Sound Energy doesn't really want a big gas leak going on in, in the neighborhood, especially the distillery where we're producing high proof alcohol. Switching your production model at Glass Distillery from making vodka to the new hand sanitizers, I'm sure is a pretty big deal. And there was probably a lot of process that went into figuring out how to make that happen. I'm curious, what did that process look like to transition? And then what's a day in the life of a uh, hand sanitizer producer at Glass Distillery? You know, Bruce, prior to March, my schedule seemed to be different all the time. And we had so many different events. And, you know, being a small business guy, you kind of you kind of have to wear many hats. We're still wearing many hats. But when everything becomes very constricted, and for me, constricting my travel meant really kind of honing me down to keeping me in one place. Everything became very unified, so unified that it's like the movie Groundhog's Day where Bill Murray keeps waking <laughs> up and doing the same thing over, but he learns something every day and, and makes him better at it. Well, I've been sort of doing the same thing. And, and my team here, the three of us, is sort of the same thing. We check in with each other every morning. It's about checking on our health and how you feeling? Everything good from last night? And so my staff, they, they take Sunday and Monday off, but I'm here really every day, Saturday with them and every day, Monday and many Sundays as well, because as soon as you figure something out with what's going on right now, it changes. So I started with bottles that we're using for the sanitizer, then they're gone. Then the supplier I'm working with finds me a different one. And then we get quantity. And then I've got to label it. And everything that we had changed so much that I couldn't even put pictures on my website because as soon as we did, I'd have to retake all the pictures because the colors or the sizes or the style of the bottle changed. Now that it's become more consistent, I, I can think about, okay, what, what's next? What could we do? And what I have seen over the last three to four weeks is more stability in sanitizer the demand is, was starting to slow down, not because people don't need it, but because the supply chain is starting to catch up. And those who had it have got it and they've got what they need. It's sort of like the toilet paper deal. But the businesses haven't even started really opening up that are going to want and need it. But the one thing I see missing is these sanitizing wipes. Even on Amazon, you can't get them. Yeah, right. And if you go to places where you buy bulk supplies for business, you, you might use a company like Uline. 
Uline won't even sell you Purell wipes unless you were buying them in the past, if you have them on a past invoice, and they limit you to only two little containers. So I said, okay, this is kind of complex, but is it possible? So I have now figured out I've got a great wipe, a cotton-based, really tough wipe, and we're going to use our sanitizer with it. I'm putting them in vacuum-sealed bags, and I've got a great first aid box that's sealed. It's got a rubber gasket on it, so the wipes inside the box won't evaporate. Like, you know, you get those little stacks of Purell or Clorox wipes, and you pull one out, and they eventually, half the things are dry by the time you get to them. So I figured out a way to not do it, and it's a box that's made by a company right here in the United States. So we're testing it, and I think we could do it for a better price than any of those things out there on Amazon and, and Costco. And uh, we're going to extend our sanitizer line probably starting next week. It's an evolving market for us. Yeah, that, that is super cool. Do you have any other products on the uh, horizon you're thinking about? I wish I could get more in my, uh, in my vodka business out, but <laughs> we've got our hands full. I, I will tell you one of the exciting things for me that has made me feel good about it. My production assistant, who was part-time, is now my full-time production assistant. I've been teaching her to make the sanitizer, so at the same time, I'm teaching her how to distill vodka. She's now way more adept at running our equipment, and she's a full-time salaried employee. So at the same time, everybody else is looking like, oh my God, it's a joy to see someone just coming into her own, and, and she's confident in what she's doing. And she's one of the, the legs on this three-legged stool. I couldn't do this if any one of us were out. So it's excellent. Yeah. Well, well congratulations to her, by the way. And, and that's really cool. Yeah, thanks. That is such an amazing story and pivot, what you did with your business and to, to help out locally. I'm, I'm curious about the hand sanitizer itself. When I think of a hand sanitizer that might be made in uh, a distillery, for example, my mind immediately goes to smells of, you know, someone sitting in a bar for three hours. You put the hand sanitizer on and you'd smell like gin or something like that. I'm guessing with the products that you're using, the byproducts that you're using to make the hand sanitizer, it might smell a little bit better, I'm hoping. It does. When we first started and I was just putting it in the little one ounce bottles and we were using the heads, that has a lot of cogeners in it or aromatics in it that you don't want in your vodka. But after that first eight or 10 days, and when I made the decision to just say, I'm going to dedicate all of our products that we are producing, everything, not just the byproduct, I'm going to dedicate it all the hand sanitizer. Now, what I was basically taking was my world-class vodka, highly acclaimed for its taste and beautiful aromatics. And we denatured it and added hydrogen peroxide and glycerin, but it's basically vodka. So it's got a very clean and almost brandy or wine-like nose to it, but it's so faint and different from the hand sanitizer that you might have experience with, like, like with Purell, where it's very gelatinous and it's meant to be sort of thick. The World Health Organization and the FDA formulation is meant for use all over the world, wherever you can get the three raw materials, because they're pretty cheap and you can access those products pretty much anywhere in the world. So you can imagine that if you're in Bangladesh and you're trying to not fight COVID, but you're trying to, to fight some other communicable disease like cholera, you want to be able to make this and you want to be able to make it cheap and fast 
and have it be very effective. That's why it's so effective. At 80% alcohol, it's 20% higher alcohol than Purell. It is a legal over-the-counter drug. So is Purell. Purell is an over-the-counter drug, but it only needs to be 60% to be effective. It's 80% just to make sure that if you weren't clean when you were making this product some other place in the world or even here, that it's going to be effective even if the water got tainted with something because it's going to kill whatever kind of organic materials in there. But it smells pretty nice. And a lot of people say that. And just to be clear, because we are, you are uh, a vodka distillery now making hand sanitizer for our listeners who might have this idea that they're going to run out, buy a bottle of this and get very cheap but high quality vodka sanitizer. This is not meant to be consumed. No, it's also denatured. So it has a substance added to it that is called Bitrex. That's the brand name it goes by. It's the most bitter substance known to man. And to give you an idea of the concentration, even without being a chemist, Bruce, it takes like 14 milliliters. <laughs> so a, a, not much more than just a little dropper. Think of a shot glass of 50 milliliters. And a teeny tiny portion of that would treat and make it unconsumable to taste a thousand gallons. <laughs> so you don't need an awful lot of the stuff to be added to it. And as, as much as you would want to drink it, your throat would back up and you would make you gag because it's so bitter. So that's what denatured alcohol is. That's really the only difference. Denatured alcohol also doesn't carry the tax that the drinkable alcohol does. So you mentioned some of the organizations that have reached out to you to kind of take advantage of or, or to get some of this hand sanitizer. Have you also had help from the local community in getting your product out there? And is it also available to people in general? Because I, I know for me, um, you know, I, I'm not associated with any organization. I've hopped on various online channels and also gone to the local stores looking for, you know, hand sanitizer, uh, disinfectant wipes and things of that nature. And I've not been able to find any. Is this available to just the common person? It is. And so... While our business has not been allowed to be open to sell our tasting experiences and have people come in to buy vodka and, and taste, we have been open because we're considered an essential service provider. So we have been open during the entire pandemic. The social distancing rules, the wearing of the mask, the limiting of people, we have been doing that since day one because we're such a small team. There's only three of us. We all have set the ground rules before there were ground rules. And we made it so that people could come to us. They could feel safe. We kept everybody apart. One person in the tasting room. But if you needed two bottles of hand sanitizer, two one ounce bottles, and you showed up, I gave it to you for free and shuffled you along your way. I've done that almost 5,000 times now. We've probably given out just under 5,000 one ounce bottles. But if you needed more, Say I needed to refill those bottles and you wanted to come in and buy a 16-ounce bottle, we're selling those. But I kept my pricing, Bruce, so that it is not taking advantage of what this horrible situation has brought on. I looked at what the pricing for sanitizer was if you were buying it in bulk a year ago. And I said, if I can do it and break even or make a little money on this, I'll do it. So our pricing, for example... A one-gallon container of 80% alcohol hand sanitizer is $50. There are other distilleries around the country selling it for $70 a gallon, $90, $120 a gallon, clearly taking advantage of the situation. 
I don't look at this as a luxury item. It's all the same recipe, so same formula. We just need it. I want to move on eventually and make vodka again. I may still dedicate a portion of my production to hand sanitizer. That's our goal, is to always make some so that there's availability for those who need it, be it here in the local community or somewhere else in the world that needs hand sanitizer. I'm going to continue to donate it because we're going to have a need. But it's available. In fact, not only is it available at the distillery, but we are now selling it wholesale to Whole Foods, and they sell it retail at 21 stores between Washington and Oregon. Oh, great. So it's available. The supply chain is starting to catch up. So now I know where to go to get my hand sanitizer. There you go. You'll see glass distillery hand sanitizer in the body care section of Whole Foods. <laughs> right. I wanted to comment. I, I don't know about how other people might feel, but it, you know, it means a lot to me to hear you say that you're not going to price gouge. There are so many people who, even in the face of a global pandemic, are more than willing to just take advantage of others. And when the, the shelves emptied out in grocery stores, you know, I hopped online to a couple of online stores and looked. And, you know, for a one ounce bottle, a four ounce bottle, you know, the prices were like $80. I mean, it was just insane. So you not gouging your prices, you selling them at legitimate prices and making it both affordable and available to everybody who needs it. I mean, I, I just think that's really great. Thank you. Can I share with you a little anecdote that makes me want to continue to do this? Absolutely. Right after we started this and the piece aired on King 5, I had a, um, a woman call me and she lived somewhere down south of Gig Harbor, small little community. And she called me. I just happened to pick up the phone. I don't always pick up the phone. One of my colleagues might. So she, her voice is shaking. And she said, I really need some hand sanitizer. And I saw a great thing on TV. Is there any way that I could get some? Could I have you mail some to me? And I listened to her story and, and I talked to her for a few minutes. And she was so scared. She said, my husband and I have not been out. We haven't been to the grocery store. We can't go to the pharmacy. We are both very at risk. And we were just hoping you could do something. I'm listening to the real fear that this person had. So I put eight little of our bottles in a box and mailed that to her. I FedExed it overnight and I didn't hear anything from her. And then two days later, she said, we received it. It was sitting on our porch. We left it there for a day to make sure that anything that was on the box was dead. And then we brought it in and cleaned it. And she just praised me and she sent a note. And that note wound out on King 5 later. And last week, I had a fellow call me, this fellow's named Marcus, and he said, Ian, you sent me some hand sanitizer about a month and a half ago, and it's the best hand sanitizer ever, <laughs> but I, I don't have the ability to get out, and I would like to get some more, but he said, you sent that to me, and you sent me eight bottles, and you sent it to me for free, and it came overnight, and I need to get some more, but I need to buy it this time. And as he's describing this, his voice got shakier. And before long, I could tell the guy was crying. And I said, Marcus, what's, what's wrong? And he says, oh, I just got back from the hospital because I have my gallbladder out and I have to take my pain pills. Oh, geez. But he said, this is important to me. So I want to buy, how much is it a bottle? And <laughs> I could not, whether he was lying to me or not, I couldn't take it. So I put a box of four ounce bottles together and what have you and sent it off to my new friend, Marcus, that I've never met. That's great. But 
you can't imagine how that makes you feel that someone feels so important that you're doing this. So that's why we got to do it and keep it fair. I love those stories. Uh, it's just so heartfelt. And it's really interesting, the, the number of people that I've been talking to for this podcast, the stories of gratitude and the feedback you get from kind of the clientele and the people who uh, are helped. But then also, you know, like you, the stories of how meaningful it is for you to be in a position and, and be able to do these sorts of things, to, to have the resources that you had to be able to pivot and the fact that you actually did it. And you're genuinely touching people's lives and you're making them happy and helping them out. You're right, Bruce. As a business that had to pivot, you've got to do it. You've got to do it quickly. You've got to make tough decisions that you don't really have time to really extrapolate out what the benefit's going to be to your business. You just know that you got to do it. You got to be a little bit vulnerable when you do that. And these compliments that we've received, these thank yous we've received, the things that we've done for all these organizations, I don't get that. Even when we're winning 95 points and gold medals and, and great things and people tell me how great my vodka is, there's just something about it when it's vodka and it's sort of this luxury item. It's not that it's any less meaningful, but when you're doing something and you, you feel the personal connection of almost fear and the unknown, it's pretty damn meaningful. And now as we are progressing through this COVID-19 pandemic and through the crisis and areas are slowly opening back up, I've heard other people, friends, colleagues say that we're never going back to normal. And, you know, while I do agree, we will never go back to that old normal we will evolve and create a new normal. One thing I've realized is that this pandemic has kind of surfaced issues in all sorts of different areas, and now people are forced to address and, and fix and solve for. I'm curious about a couple of things. I'm curious about how you think that new normal is going to look like in the local community here, you know, what that new normal means for you, and then what that new normal means for glass distillery. I, I know earlier you mentioned that you have hopes that once glass distillery opens back up as a vodka distillery, that you want to continue making some hand sanitizer. So just really curious about what you think this new normal is going to look like. I like the phrasing of the new normal. I've heard so many people talking about it's never going back to the way it was as if it was the glory days that we want to go back to. But you, you also use the word evolve. And I take a very positive connotation to the word evolve because we are always evolving. Our society makes changes and we have to change behavior of groups. And, and the larger the group gets, the more you have to change behavior. I don't think anybody's excited about what the next three months hold for business in general across many industries, especially those that have been decimated, like in hospitality and restaurants and, and tourism. No one's excited about it. But I, I, I think the future is bright for all of us, because it's just going to be a change in our behavior. I'm sure there's a gentler way to say this, but I, I, I feel it sort of has to be said. I think that mankind is lucky that the first experience that we've had since World War I and the Spanish flu outbreak is a pandemic that's caused by a coronavirus that, while it is taking hundreds of thousands of lives and making so many people sick, 
can you imagine how much worse if it would be if it was as much of a killer as something like the Spanish flu or maybe worse like Ebola? And if you can imagine something that had the death rate that you got from Ebola but was transmitted in a respiratory disease, we would have millions of people at the same time right now. So what it's done, it's given humankind the opportunity to get prepared because it's coming. The sheer numbers and statistics say it's coming. There's going to be other things like this happen, but we're better preparing ourselves for the future. And for glass, I'm going to have to change my business model. My business model is going to have to be focused more on direct-to-consumer sales because the sales that many distilleries and wineries need or live off of are those sales that come from on-premise sales in bars and restaurants and hotels. Those sales aren't going to come back for a long time. So if I want to survive, I've got to think about not only pivoting my business to making a new product that people need for a time being, but I've also got to think about how do I rebuild a new part of a business that is my traditional business, and that's the distillery or, or vodka, you know, drinkable alcohol business. And to continue the success we had with connecting with consumers with the sanitizer for those of people that needed it, I want to be able to continue that in the future and have that connection. So if everything went back to a state where we've got a vaccine and we're not worrying about coronavirus, everybody that's going through this right now is going to always have in their mind that I got, you know, if I can just keep my hands clean and I keep things around me sanitized, I got a better chance of protecting myself with something else that's out there. We're all going to be a little bit more clean freaks, so to speak, than we were six months ago. So if there's always going to be that in the future, I'm going to have a little reminder of people by producing enough sanitizer that if people need it, I've got it. If there are parts of the world that need it because they can't afford it, I bet you there's an organization I can work with that if I can get a pallet of hand sanitizer to them, I can get it to them. So I see that this new pivot for me is always going to be part of my business model into the future. And my business model in the future is going to be more direct to consumers so I can stay alive. Yeah. Well, it's so commendable, everything that you're doing with your business and how you pivoted and such a great legacy to be able to build into your business. And the fact that you are planning to continue it once this pandemic is over and still help out around the world, it's really fantastic. Thanks. I, you know, it's all about doing a little something. And if we all do a little something, you can make progress. I mean, you can also make backwards progress, too. If you all do a little something negative, you can turn things in the, in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. A little bit at a time, right? Right. And in talking about moving forward and not backwards, if people want to volunteer to help you out or support you in any way, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? They can reach out to us through our website. We are at glassvodka.com. If you send a note to either vodka at glassdistillery.com or sanitizer at glassdistillery.com, it gets right to us. We're selling our sanitizer online, so we can now ship it according to Department of Transportation rules. So we can even ship it to you if you can't come down. And Bruce, they can even come down to the tasting room. It's one at a time, but we're getting pretty efficient at getting people in and out. And you don't need to touch anything. And we ask that you wear a mask when you come down. But if either of those methods, either connecting through our website or uh, coming on down doesn't work, 
you can even get our hand sanitizer and our vodka products at Whole Foods. They have both of them, and I'm sure they'd be happy to uh, point you in the direction getting some. And in case someone happens to be in the neighborhood, whereabouts is the tasting room located? We are down in the Soto area of Seattle, so about two blocks south of Mariner Stadium or Safeco Field on First Avenue South. And it's pretty quiet down in the Soto neighborhood these days without any of the stadiums being open and, and not looking like that's going to happen. But there's plenty of free parking on the street in front and pretty quiet down here. So people can come right down. That's great. It's really a great pivot and uh, a great thing that you're doing. I know people will be interested in uh, grabbing a bottle or two of the hand sanitizer. And I'm sure once Glass Distillery gets back up and running again, with the vodka production, I'm sure people will want to grab a uh, bottle or two of your finest vodkas. Thanks. We certainly hope so as well. <laughs> well, thank you, Ian. I really appreciate the time. This has been a really meaningful and great conversation and looking forward to getting your story out to our listeners. Bruce, I agree. Thank you so much. And it's great being part of the uh, Luminaries in the Dark podcast. Keep up the great content that you're pushing out. Will do. Thanks. It's important during these uncertain times that we do what we can to help light the path through the darkness. I'm your host, Bruce Bracken, for Luminaries in the Dark. Stay safe, stay healthy.